Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello, imaginative people. I'm Anna Tizard, and this is episode 31 of Brainstorium. And it's number four out of six in my Alice in Wonderland miniseries, although of course you can listen to them in any order. Today we're looking at extremes, for that's what the Mad Hatter's Tea Party seems to be all about. Mayhem and nonsense. But what is the scene for? And what does it do for Alice and the story as a whole? What can we as authors learn from one of the most ridiculous scenes in literature? Make yourself a cup of tea and I'll tell you all about it. Ah, what could be more iconic in Alice in Wonderland than the Mad Hatter's Tea Party? This scene is the very pinnacle of weirdness, fun and rudeness. They offer her wine, but there's only tea. They say there's no room for her. She can't sit down when there's plenty of room. They don't ask her who she is, like the caterpillar, nor do they offer her any help, like the Cheshire cat. They tell her she needs a haircut. What proceeds is possibly the most inexplicable and directionless conversation in the entire book, full of riddles that don't have answers or that just meander off. It's the verbal equivalent of being stuck inside a maze and realising you've taken a wrong turn, but the path just keeps going on and on. The Hatter and the March Hare are brusque and changeable, and the whole scene is very awkward and uncomfortable for Alice. You just don't know what anyone's going to say next. It's odd that, in my mind, this is one of the most vivid, memorable scenes, made even more fun by images from having watched the Disney animation. But when you read it with your editor's hat on, for as writers, we are all just as much editors too. My goodness, what is the point of this chapter? Nothing really happens. Nothing changes. This party, these characters, would seem to absolutely exemplify the, so- the so-called madness which the Cheshire Cat warned Alice about. Dysfunctional, fragmented trains of thought that just peter off or take a sudden turn in a direction you weren't expecting. Nothing they talk about gets resolved. And in terms of the plot line, you have to ask, why is this scene even there? It doesn't appear to move the story forward. Alice gains nothing from it besides a desire to move on. Strange that a scene should be technically almost useless, pointless, 
And yet, who could imagine Alice's adventures in Wonderland without it? Is there something we can learn from this as authors? Because on the surface of it, it goes against our intuition and some really vital techniques. When you're editing, if you find a scene that doesn't move the story forward, generally speaking, you should cut it or at least consider cutting it. It makes me think about the value in stepping outside of a draft in progress and to do an experiment. Pick the main elements of the story, the main themes or threads, and ask yourself what would happen if you took them to their extremes, maybe even in spite of the direction of the plot where you know things are actually going to go and you've already decided. Tell yourself you won't be putting it in this new scene or, or any of these new ideas that you now come up with in the final draft. Let yourself off the hook so you don't have that critical voice in your ear questioning what you're doing right now. This exercise will work best if you're writing something a little longer than your average short story. To begin with, simply step back and identify the main themes or threads. This alone can be a very useful exercise to help clarify things in your mind when perhaps you're up to, up to your neck in it and maybe not quite sure how well everything's working. Can you easily state what the main themes are, what the main threads are of the story and how they come together. What is the point or the overall purpose or underlying message of the tale, do you think? And can you, just as an experiment, take that or take one of those or all of them to their absolute extremes? Just as a thought experiment. Treat it as just pure fun. Write a list of all the different things that could happen, even if you know you're not going to use them. Some of these ideas that you come up with may even clash with what you've already worked out will happen later. But just try this brainstorm to see where it takes you in a completely different direction. For Alice, it's she is lost confused and in a place where no one and nothing makes sense. Now how to take that to extremes? You have the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. That's what it does. It's a simple fact that in any story, especially in a longer piece like a, a novella or a novel, in order to satisfy the reader you must take things to the furthest possible extreme as perceived by the audience. There's a famous saying by Anton Chekhov, in the first act, sorry, if in the first act you introduce a gun, by the third act you have to use it. But I say, as authors of longer fiction, fiction to read, this is only a part of what we must do. In order to really satisfy a reader, you don't just fulfill their expectations, you have to go beyond them. In the same way that it mustn't be obvious from the start who the murderer is in a murder mystery, 
You have to take the story to an extreme that was in some way foreseeable, not completely out of the blue and therefore unbelievable, but also unforeseen. There's a twist, a surprise that they didn't see coming, but which fits. Otherwise, why would anyone bother reading the book or the story if they could predict exactly what was going to happen? As a recent example of how this might work out in a shorter piece, where you don't really have the narrative space in which you can do a really big twist, but where this can still happen on a small scale. My short story, The Great Taco, which I read out in episode 24. In the second paragraph, you find out that Selwyn's friend, Ed, the magician, is missing. Everything about the atmosphere tells you it's not looking good for Ed. That's a promise I had to fulfil. It would be a real letdown if I didn't ensure something awful had happened to him, or at least to someone in the story. Having set this up, the reader would feel confused and wrong-footed if everything turned out to be perfectly okay, unless I found a really spectacular way of twisting it. Either Ed's died, or something else is horribly wrong. That's the expectation I set up and therefore had to fulfil. That's like the gun at the beginning. But then I can't fulfil it in a really obvious way. Imagine that I just wrote about Selwyn breaking into Ed's home and finding him dead or unconscious. That's not enough. A story has to give you something extra that you wouldn't have imagined on your own. Something a little bit extreme. When Selwyn lets himself into Ed's back garden in the middle of the night, he witnesses something rather strange. Have a listen if you like. It's episode 24 of Brainstorium. But going back to the exercise, brainstorming a story to its extremes. Like I said, you might not use any of the scenes you come up with, but you never know. It might spark off an idea of how to twist things just a little. You might, during your brainstorm, stumble across a detail that becomes memorable. And it could really flavour the rest of the story once you put it in. As writers, we're here to give people experiences they wouldn't otherwise have through the power of their own imaginations. Why stop at ordinary? Why be predictable? Fulfill their expectations, but then go one step further and show them something else. An imagination experiment with extremes could give you the kind of iconic scene or detail that the Mad Hatter's Tea Party gave to Wonderland. You never know until you try. Now I've whet your appetite to try writing something a bit twisty, here's another publishing opportunity I've come across. Duck Duck Mongoose magazine is open for submissions for short fiction, poetry, creative non-fiction and artwork. At the time of recording, that's June 23, 
The theme for their next issue is notes. What types of notes matter to you? Are they musical notes, reminders to yourself, notes used to pass in class, love notes left in your kitchen, or something else? I quite like this theme. It sort of, it gives a prompt, but it's open to quite a few different interpretations. Duck Duck Mongoose will consider any type of short work but will not consider works focused on geese. <laughs> I really don't know what is going on with this magazine, but it's um, it's rather interesting. <laughs> Sense of humour. Uh, if you'd like to know more, go to duckduckmongoose.wordpress.com. That's duckduckmongoose.wordpress.com and check their submission guidelines. As always, read the T's and C's before you decide where you want to submit your work. Now, before we move on to gameplay, I have a little personal news. I'm about to go on a short break to Oxford. I've only passed through Oxford very briefly before, and it looks like a fascinating city full of history and references to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland because that's where Lewis Carroll lived and wrote the book. And there is an Alice in Wonderland shop which apparently used to be a sweet shop where the real Alice, the inspiration for the book, used to go and buy sweets after school. I think that's probably going to be my first stop. (laughs) So perhaps by next time I'll have some additional knowledge to share about the book. We shall see. There'll be some photos as well, I'm sure. If you're interested, please subscribe to my private email list at annatizard.com. Just hit any one of the subscribe buttons and make sure you confirm by clicking on the email that comes through to you straight after, though these usually land in your spam, just to confuse you. Um, I expect I'll send a newsletter about Oxford around early July. Right, as the Hatter and the March Hare set down their teacups and throw us a stare, it is time for us to begin our own journey down the winding path of imagination. Let's see what story ideas wait for us in The Socks of Destiny. That's right. An exquisite corpse creates a unique, bizarre sentence by muddling up the words that lovely people such as yourself send me through my play page at annatizard.com and the sentence structure goes describing word noun, action, describing word noun, which is why there are three socks of destiny for three word types. So let's see what our first describing word is. This is from Mariah, who sends me lots of lovely words. Rebellious. Okay. Do we have a noun to go with rebellious? This is from Andy Burroughs. Soul. Hmm. Rebellious soul. It's quite an open word in a way. Right, what's our action. This is from T.F. Burke. 
was insolent towards. Okay. Um, our next describing word is from Paul Benfield. Ravenous. And the final word is from Francis S. Posey. And it is puffin. <laughs> People, we have a, rav a ravenous puffin in our midst. <laughs> okay, right, I'm just going to read out the entire exquisite corpse and see what we've got to work with. So we have the rebellious soul was insolent towards the ravenous puffin. Okay, this is uh, this sounds like quite a tricky one. Um, but let's see, have a think around this because you don't have to take everything literally with exquisite corpse. We're here to play with ideas and be imaginative and try and push our imaginations to the extreme um, just to see what might happen. So often I'll take one of these um, describing word noun couplets, if you like, uh, like rebellious soul and ravenous puffin and think, could that be the name of a piece of art, um, someone's nickname? If so, who on earth are they that they've got that, they've been given that nickname? Um, a nightclub, a cafe, um, a book, a film. Um, it Really, it could be anything. And so we're just trying to kind of push ourselves to, to come up with interesting new ideas. Um, great exercise for the brain. Certainly, if, if you want to write, you've got to keep your imagination limber. So the rebellious soul was insolent towards the ravenous puffin. I think already it is time <laughs> for some green tea because I definitely need something. Let's just give this a bit of a stir. person is who they are. They're a rebellious soul. It kind of describes their character psychologically um, rather than giving us something physical to look at. The ravenous puffin. <laughs> um, it's a good name for a, a cafe or a fish restaurant <laughs> or a fish market or something. Or maybe let's think about what a puffin is, um, since the other character, we've been given quite personal psychological information about them. So puffins are black and white. They live by the shore, often in sort of big, uh, sort of rocky, you know, big cliffs um, in the area, diving for fish. 
black and white, that's got me thinking about there's so much binary thinking on social media these days. It's always like, you know, people tend towards this. They do say this is a fault of the human mind in that we tend towards uh, a simplification of things where people are like, well, you're either this or you're that. You know, you're, you're either all for something or against it, when in reality, there are lots of different opinions on lots of different subjects, and the world is a place full of colour, not just black and white, this versus that. So I wonder if that's one way we can interpret this puffin um, because of the black and white thing. It's just an idea. Um, or someone dressed up in black and white. I'm moving back towards this restaurant idea, perhaps a waiter. Um, someone having a meal, maybe, or maybe there's two characters there, they're out on a date together and it goes horribly wrong since the rebellious soul was insolent towards the ravenous puffin. Now I'm focusing on the word ravenous if we're at mealtime. And of course, the first part of ravenous is raven, which is another bird. I wonder if the origins of the word are the same. What if the puffin character isn't quite what he seems? Now I'm thinking about shapeshifters, as you do. And the rebellious soul she refuses to shapeshift or something's happened. So this is like a sort of um, either a secret society or they just happen to, they're both shapeshifters. Um, they live a, a, a secretive life, but out in the open, pretending to be normal human beings. And they go, they're dating or possibly at the early stages. Um, and they go out to this restaurant and maybe the ravenous puffin is genuinely hungry. This is a person who's quite straight laced and maybe sees the world in black and white. Or maybe it's just that um, he can change between a puffin and a raven or some other animal. I've never really written it. I don't think I've written about shapeshifters before. This is an interesting kind of area to explore because there's so many things you could do with it. If um, It's really representative, this situation I'm describing of simply um, two people who share a kind of secret and anomaly that is different to the rest of the world. Um, and that's interesting whether you're into like true fantasy or not. And they have an argument. And I think the reason they've appeared, they've, they've, they've gone to this restaurant or the reason the puffin um, has taken them to a restaurant and wants to have this conversation with this rebellious soul who's breaking the rules of the shapeshifters, doing something wrong or there is something wrong where she can't shapeshift or she wants to she wants to let out the secret or she's she's mentioned it to someone or she shapeshifted in front of a normal person something's not right 
and they end up in an argument, which the ravenous puffin thought wouldn't happen because they're in a public place. He thought this would be a safe place to have this difficult discussion because in front of other people, the rebellious soul wouldn't be so quick to uh, lose her temper. Hmm, I'm not sure this... um, there are some potential ideas here to explore. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you have to kind of go around the houses a little bit to find what is that conflict. Um, I think it's time for another exquisite corpse. So let's have a look. Get our first describing word. This is from Honor Harlow. Grumpy. Okay, I feel like we had a slightly grumpy one before, but of course this will be completely different. Every exquisite corpse is unique. So let's see, this is from uh, Tracy, uh, also known on Twitter as Magna Carta 1967. <laughs> Mad musician. Okay, Tracy has uh, cheated slightly, but I allowed it. She's added a, a, an adjective or a describing word within her noun. But I thought, do you know what? I'll, I'll allow that. So we have a grumpy and mad musician, whatever mad means. Um, let's see. This is from Francis S. Posey. Loaded the catapult with... <laughs> Oh my goodness, right, I'm not I'm not gonna try and skip ahead in my mind as to what that might be. Let's just pick another word. This is from Evan, whose Twitter ID is Foster2401. Wistful. Hmm. And the final word of our second exquisite corpse is from oops. This is from Honor Harlow again. Corpse. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have a look at the entire exquisite corpse and read it out to you. We have <laughs> the grumpy mad musician loaded the catapult with the wistful corpse. Oh my goodness. See, when I, when I first was pulling out, I was pulling out those first words, I was thinking, well, this is a, a grumpy and mad musician. Um, so an eccentric character who loves to play instruments is maybe um, a bit of a genius. Who knows all these instruments he plays? Maybe he's invented an instrument. Um, and, you know, loading up a catapult, I just imagined that, I don't know, um... He's had an, his his had some kind of uh, epiphany, or he's had enough of music, or he wants to experiment with sound by catapulting one of his instruments <laughs> off the top of some tower in some bizarre castle-like manor house. I don't know, um, but it turns out uh, he's loading it with a wistful corpse. Oh my goodness. How can a corpse be wistful? Good grief. 
this is feeling quite this is feeling quite Adam's family or the monsters <laughs> I used to watch the monsters um gosh but I think you'd if you were really gonna go with this whole this critic corpse sort of on the physical literal surface of it I think we are moving into that territory if we have a wistful corpse ooh, a wistful corpse who still wants adventures and so maybe she's the one uh I don't know why it's a woman she's uh she's the one who has convinced this grumpy a mad musician who she lives with um to send her on an adventure by loading her into the catapult that is just bizarre um <laughs> this is like comedy horror possibly co comedy horror gone wrong um let's th let's just think about this what else can we get from this i mean yes we could have this corpse who is maybe sick and tired of being stuck indoors um with this grumpy and bonkers musician playing music all the time making up stuff and all the time she can't do anything because she's a corpse and yet somehow she is still uh, conscious um, and able to think about things and and desire some escape from all of this <laughs> so you could just have <laughs> i meant to move on from this moment in case you hadn't noticed but i'm still with it i'm like someone's walking across a field maybe it's the gardener so they've got this huge grand house and they have a gardener you've got to have like a human ordinary character in this um who doesn't really understand that they're either i don't know they're just sort of they're supernatural characters um and uh and you know he's out uh, perhaps walking his dog, you know, one last walk sort of in the evening before he, he goes back, goes to bed. And he's always trying to ignore or turn a blind eye to the strange things that go on in his manor house. They pay him well, so he doesn't really need to care about these this bizarre family, perhaps brother and sister, um, who, who sort of maybe drive each other crazy. And um, he's no idea that she's a corpse that her own brother murdered her years ago to try and get rid of her because he's so grumpy and hates most people. Um, but that's what's happened. And yet he could never actually get rid... They couldn't get rid of each other. He's now stuck with this wistful corpse. Um, so this gardener's out walking his dog and this sort of strange swooping noise <laughs> over his head... <laughs> As the corpse goes flying. Okay, this is just, this is probably too bizarre. So let's try and think beyond that just to see if there's anything else that we can pull out of this. Um, I think I might need some more green tea first. Right. The wistful corpse could be 
a painting, a sculpture. He's getting rid of things in his house. <laughs> or his, uh, his ex has just moved out and he's really angry. And this is, this is the best, most spectacular way to throw out her stuff. <laughs> what is she doing with a sculpture of a wistful corpse? Oh my God, what kind of a relationship must that have been? Um, or what, what if it's not in his house? Why am, I, why am I making the assumption that he's at home? Um, if, if this is in the middle of a war, since there's a catapult involved, um, and they're running out of, of ammunition and um, rocks to catapults, so they start throwing corpses. Oh God, that's disgusting and really quite dark. Hmm. I feel like since we left the monsters behind, I think we're um, moving into territory. It's not really my territory, but you know, if you wanted to write something really gruesome, if that's up your street um, and you're into sort of military sci-fi fantasy, well, you could do something with this, but uh, that's not my groove. So I'll leave that to you and I will pick out another describing word. This is from Paul Thomas, sarcastic. Okay. Next word is from Mariah. Gift. Oh, that is weird. It's a very interesting word combination. Right, let's move on to an action. This is from Evan. Drank the Black Sea out of love for... <laughs> Oh, all right, this is going to be a serious imagination exercise. I can just tell. Um, this is from Andy Burrows. Dreamlike. I like that. Who or what was dreamlike? This is from oh, Alessandro Bose. Automaton. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to read the whole thing and we're just going to give it a go. Okay, are you with me? The sarcastic gift drank the Black Sea out of love for the dreamlike automaton. That's, um, yeah, that's a pretty weird one. Um, sarcastic gift. How can a gift be sarcastic? If it's a thing that's being given, how can it think unless, like the dreamlike automaton, it too is a robot. We're living in a world where robots are commonly given as gifts birthday present but the person 
throws it out because it's beginning to express sarcasm. (laughs) So it goes on walkabout or wheelabout and falls in love with a dreamlike automaton. Can robots fall in love? Can AI learn to be sarcastic? I'm not sure which one's more scary. (laughs) Are the two related? If you can be snarky uh, about something and have that kind of opinion about something, can you be passionate too? What about a backstory to these two? How was the dreamlike automaton made and who made it? Was that a gift as well to someone? And why? To create a thing of beauty amongst ugly robots in a world where that's become the standard and they're all getting a bit sarcastic? Or if we could go really weird with this, if it's not weird enough already, um, maybe the dreamlike automaton is a dream and the sarcastic robot has learned not just to be sarcastic, but has learned to dream. There's something wrong with it and it goes into sleep mode. (laughs) And it does what no one predicted it could do. It dreams. Maybe it's sarcastic at first about the strange, completely illogical scenes and characters that that it encounters in its dreams because it's never dreamed before. It's a robot and has a very, um, you know, set kind of standard of, of what to expect in the world and how to interact with the world. This is completely different, this dream. And then it falls in love. Does it stay in the dream? Does it get lost in its own dream? If a robot breaks down while it's in sleep mode and it never wakes up or gets switched on again, is its dream world its real world? Ooh, that's very Alice in Wonderland. I was not expecting that. Okay, so let's just quickly look over Uh, summarise the exquisite corpses we've come across today, which have been especially peculiar. Um, But I'm sure, you know, there are are ideas that we can use here. First of all, we have an argument in a restaurant. Perhaps they're on their first date. Or they share a secret life as shapeshifters or something else. But one of them is rebelling in some way, in a dangerous way. Um, It feels like a good opening scene to try and just to see where it goes. Then we have a grumpy mad musician loading up a catapult with, well, who knows, a sculpture, a painting, an actual corpse, which then shoots across the sky while an unsuspecting gardener dum-de-dums his way around the uh, the fields, <laughs> walking his dog at night. Where could that go? A gruesome discovery. 
something to play around with around Halloween, I reckon. And finally, a robot trapped in a dream and another robot that may be a dream. But who knows if it's real? You could rewrite Alice in Wonderland, but with robots. (laughs) Why not? Okay, so I hope you found some uh, interesting ideas in there to play with. Um, If not, hopefully this process entertained you, distracted you from a banal life, perhaps, in in some way. We all have banal aspects to our lives, but... um, And that you might be inspired to try and take a story idea to its extremes, even if it's just in a brainstorming session, just to see, just to test out where it could potentially go. Because nothing ever happens. We don't do anything unless we imagine it first. So how can you know where your story will go unless you give it that space, that room in which to grow? And I just rhymed without meaning to. Anyway, until next time, go forth and be inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.